This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. I'm Greg. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi. So today we're going to talk about Joe Haldeman, Forever Peace, which is not a direct sequel to Forever War. No. Um, It's on the website, the Wikipedia entry, it says it's the second in the Forever series, but I I think we were discussing before the podcast, there's really very little in the way of ties between uh, Forever Peace and for the forever war and forever free was there was there anything direct at all or was it just theme related greg you were it, saying there was something well it's it is thematically related but not uh you know technically and mechanically plot wise related they take place in the same universe we assume but maybe i, I would think of them as standalone things that happen to tie together a, a, a trinity <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, no, the, I think the third one, I mean, it's got the the characters back from the first book. So yes, it does. Yeah, this, it does. this has none of the same characters as far as I'm aware. That's true. But thematically, I can go with this. I understand why, given his uh, experiences in Southeast Asia, you know, what, what, what the crucible that the Forever War was, was cooked in, I could understand why this would be dessert. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, you were also saying there's something that, in the first book. When I read the first book, I I thought, oh, he's got a weird last name, Mand- Mandela or Mandela. What was yeah. his, what's the main character's first name and uh, last name in the in the first book in this series? It's, it's something. yeah, William Mandela. William Mandela. And right. how is it spelled? Is it spelled like like uh, Nelson Mandela? Two, yeah, two L's or one L is it? yeah. Two L's in the Dinosaur Review. Okay. I I I I remember thinking or hearing something about it being related to the idea of a mandala, you know, the, right. uh, there's a like a Hindu or Sanskrit or something. Um, no, there's a Buddhist. Okay. Drawing made out of colored sands called right, mandala. Right. Right. Okay. That that generally shows the wheel of life in some form or another. They're they're very beautiful. Right. So uh, this. This is supposed to be symbolic or something of. <laughs> I think you know you well, didn't choose that name piece? by random, did he? Well, no. Ma- Mandela's are not are not persistent. They blow away in the wind. Right. Okay. I've seen monks make them live in uh, where I work. I guess they do it to to promote peace. It's pretty, um, it's pretty cool how they make it too. Yeah, I I think they do it more as an exercise to try to approach enlightenment and become. One with, yeah, we get know, that in this book. The universe, you know, the routine. Okay. Yeah, right, right. All right, that's interesting. Um, uh, you you guys notice the name of the main character in this book, uh, the, in Forever Forever Peace, his last name, uh, Julian Class. Class. E L A S S. I thought, oh well, if you're making fictional characters, why name him Julian Class? Uh, I I thought, well, maybe it's spelled Class. Uh, K L A S S. That would be a reference to Philip Class, you know. Uh, okay. William Penn. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's not. I think it's spelled C L A S S. 
um, in which case it's uh, probably a reference to classes and race and class, because there's still a little bit of uh, uh, race in this book. Uh, the main character's black, and there's a couple instances of racism uh, thrown about, even though it's you know set 50 years in the future, I guess there's still racists out there. I'm not surprised by that. Mm-hmm. The war is fought between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is is it's uh, it's it's about where you're born and what. It, it, let's let's get into the book. So, uh, anyone want to do a plot summary before we uh, talk about the ideas, which I think are the strong part of the book? Are <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. The protagonist is a conscripted soldier who uh, lives inside when he is working ten days a, a month. Uh, lives inside a, a cage that allows him to control uh, remotely a large mechanical weapon, uh, mostly in the Caribbean and South America, but there's a global war going on with a group called the Nagumi, uh, who are based out of Africa. I guess all the dictators got together. Um, and he also, the rest of his time, the other 20 days, uh, he is a physics professor in Texas who has a lover who's 15 years older than him and white. And um, he has the ability to interface with the other members of his platoon through a jack in the base of his skull. Uh, his girlfriend does not have a jack. Um, and so he has an understanding of an empathy towards humanity that she does not have. And for just, for example, the women in his platoon menstruate. And since they're all locked together, he is, he feels the same things. So he has an experience that's wider than uh, most people. And the hook in the book has to do with what that causes, the changes that causes to human behavior. Sounds 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 pretty good. That's not even spoilery. <clears throat> I I tried not to spoil it. Yeah. <laughs> so what what do you what do you think really works in this book? Uh, well, I think that there's a bunch of really good ideas up front. Um, the the you know the, he has baldness as a as a fashion thing Pe- you know guys intentionally shave their heads cuz no one's bald anymore and the the restaurant with the street gang theme and the nano forge and the hookers trying to buy their dicks back <laughs> that was and, pretty funny yeah all, all of that stuff but it's all front loaded all the really good ideas are front loaded and once we get them out of the way and we understand where we have to go it just turns into a caper story you know what I felt like to me, uh, the, the whole back half of the book felt like I was reading uh, Stranger in a Strange Land again, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it, after the premise, you say, okay, now we've got to have lots of, lots of people sitting around in meetings naked and <laughs> right. talking about their spirituality and what they can't do and what they can do, and, and they have superpowers, you know? Right, and, and give me a you know a magical thinker who's an assassin who cuts a bloody swath through the group, and give me the man in power who is controlling them all, the puppet man. You know, I mean, it's it, it was just a a caper story. It just you know a heist basically. Mm-hmm. I I read a review where it said that uh it's it was almost like two novellas smushed together. Like I think the, there might be something to that. Yeah, I could like see the, that. The, the, 
like the soldier story and then the story about the Jupiter project. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. Because this thing does turn on a dime. I mean, you get to the halfway point, you have just been told what's going to happen, and you know what the next six hours are going to be, and they are exactly that. Hmm. I picked up a copy of the paper book um, uh, just to see if there was any any material that wasn't in the audiobook. And uh, there was a dedication, I guess, or some sort of uh, qualification at the beginning saying that it was uh, dedicated to two editors, John W. Campbell, who rejected the story. Good he man. thought it was uh, 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 he wouldn't. Th- he didn't think an American woman uh, could be a soldier and a uh, fight in combat. And Ben Bowman, wow. who didn't think that. Yeah, wow. it, it doesn't say he rejected this story. I can read the dedication here because I've got yeah. a hard copy. It says this novel is for two editors. John W. Campbell, who rejected a story because he ah. thought it was absurd to write about American women who fight and die in combat, and Ben Bova, who didn't. So he's he's really talking about Forever Peace, uh, Forever War, I would think. Yeah, yeah maybe Campbell so, yeah. rejected the the novel, and then um, it got. Well, I mean, that's the book that made Joe Haldeman uh, a name, right? Mm-hmm. Forever War. That's his first yeah. novel. I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did Ben Bova edit that? I guess so. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder where it originally appeared. I think it was a paperback. Yeah, it wasn't a very long novel, I don't think so it was, I wonder yeah. if uh, it was serialized. They're, I don't think it was serialized. I think he tried to get it uh, into uh, Astounding, or mm-hmm. what it was probably called Analog at the time. Yeah. It came out in 74. So. Well, the pulps were still around. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, and Ben Bova edited Analog for a long time in the 70s, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, what about, um, what about uh, Utama? What, what do you yeah, think it was first serialized in Analog Magazine. Oh, okay. okay. I'm reading the so, Wikipedia for Forever Work. So that means that Ben Bova bought it. Tama, what do you think uh, works in this book? Like when I first read the beginning, I was really excited. I thought I thought that was the best part. But then when it got to like just uh, psychotic women cutting people <laughs> up, I, I was pretty uh, put off by that. There's a lot of a lot of sort of people t- talking like they're in uh, self help groups. You know, at the end of uh, uh, when you get in later into the book, there's a lot of people say, "Yes, I'm a murderer, but I'm better now. <laughs> I, I won't murder right. anymore." <laughs> right? They're self actualized. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think usually Joe Haldeman books are more tightly plotted. They're, they're not usually yeah. This feels a little a lot of introspection and maybe maybe it, one of the problems for me is that it's got it. You know, I usually want one conceit that doesn't remains unexamined, but this book has several. Uh, it's got I think essential to the world is the Nano Forge, right? It's a device that can allow anyone can, to make anything uh, as long as you give it the raw materials. Basically, it's a uh, Magic machine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's a, a well, nanotech. Is, it's a subatomic replicator. I mean, it's right. not... Yeah, okay. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it can make a copy of itself, right? Yeah, of course. Um, and, you, you know, if you want to make a nuclear weapon, you just put in uranium or plutonium, and it'll make it from the catalog. So th- that has changed society, and I think that, that could be a book on its own. In fact, that reminds me a lot of uh, Mac Reynolds' books, you know, where... 
the economy doesn't work like it does today, where there's scarcity and resources. There's there's a, a sort of a uh, some other system involved. Um, so uh, there's that, and then there's the jack, which is uh, allows you to interface with with machines, but more importantly, interface with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's basically like uh, telepathy, I guess. Would you, is that what you guys? Yeah, would say? The, the whole description yeah. of the war. You know, the the first part of the book, they're actually it opens when they're at war, and that description that w- that really captured me. Um, yeah, it does. Having twenty people connected together like that, and yeah. not only are they connected to each other, but they're connected to machines. So they're each controlling their own machine, correct? And then um, they're all connected yep. together, so they act as a team. And um, right. one of the things that it seemed to me is they were fighting um, an enemy that wasn't their equal, right? Right. Because uh, it was like, you know, there would be a convoy or something, and I guess these guys' job was to go take out the convoy. So they'd go do that, and then they'd come home and wait. That was their normal mode of operation. Um, yeah, I don't think they actually came. Like, I think the soldiers, st- uh, the the actual soldier boy body ma- right, machine, still stay right. there, and they just hand them off to the next batch. Yeah, of, I remember uh, a description soldiers. of you know them getting into a fight where they had to go to a place where they stayed alert. You know, I know that they're on remote control, but they stayed alert. Like five of them would stay awake while five of them went to sleep for an hour, and mm-hmm. then um, vice versa. And then he got awakened abruptly. (laughs) Ten days, right? Yeah, twenty-four hours a day for ten days. It. it, it, The reason I wanted to read this book is I. I remember this part of the book. You know the, the the opening where we basically got invulnerable soldiers who even if you did manage to blow them up, it wouldn't. uh, Although that that part actually I was wrong. (laughs) Apparently, you can kill the soldier by killing the soldier boy. Right, mm-hmm. you can control, mm-hmm. can kill the operator by killing a uh, machine. Only if there's a problem back at the shop where they oh. don't turn you off fast. Right. Enough. Okay. Okay. Uh, but even so, I I thought you know that's one thing that doesn't parallel what what we've got going on and what I I wanted to read this book again for was I I remember it being very prescient as sort of a description of what kind of war we're having now in. Places like Libya and uh, uh, I don't know uh, Pakistan and where, wherever else drones are in operation, where you can just fly above the the battlefield, sitting in a you know another country, uh, going out for lunch and coming back to the war. Um, and that, I remember that being like, wow, that does it is asymmetrical warfare when you can't even be hurt and they they are completely destroyable, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's called the forever peace for a couple of reasons i think the, the novel one is because they're actually in peace right now and the wars the wars around the world are all economic wars of of re- basically putting down rebellions where people don't uh like not having the things that are in the first world countries that have the nanoforges and then there's the forever peace of the of the i guess the end of the novel is the idea that there's well, not going to be any more, more war. That's exactly where I wish the book had started. Is I'm more interested in the aftermath. Are there still guys who hunt animals? And what about political changes? Yeah. I mean, just changing the speed limit. You have an actuarial table. You know if you change the speed limit to five miles slower an hour, you'll save a 1,000 people a year. Well, if you can't kill anybody, that means the speed limit is zero. 
It's you know what it's almost like is it's almost like applying uh, Isaac Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics to people, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of. But mm-hmm. but I also see other angles on this thing. I mean, um, a spree suicide serial killer. In other words, I like to experience death, so I jack with someone and kill them so that I can feel them die. But I don't die. I go on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm more interested in what happens afterward. You transcend yourself in this book. I mean, the, the, I can see in the aftermath you would have perpetual jacks. There would yeah. never be a time. You know, you're just wirelessly connected all the time. You have all that information, all that, that knowledge, all that experience. Um, you know, and, and I would, I would take that story and turn it into something about, you know, you have a a greater sense of accomplishment when you do it yourself. Okay. I am a creature capable of killing just like all the characters in this book. And, um, I, today I got up this morning and I said, I'm not going to kill anybody today. And that accomplishment (laughs) Is Congratulations. More, thank you. Thank you. That accomplishment is greater in my mind than if I had someone or uh, someone who altered me to make me unable to make that decision. Or I guess it's better if you apply this to religion, uh, because, what, you know, uh, it, as someone who isn't a magical thinker, I have to make the decisions on my own without without an authority that tells me what's right or wrong. And I decided that I'm not going to kill if I can get around it. Mm. And, and that, to me, is more valuable to me as an integral human being than it is to have a list of rules created by an authority somewhere else that I follow that told me not to kill people. Yeah, Does that, make, that make makes sense. sense. But I, I don't think that's for everybody. right? I think a lot of people want, want uh, like not everybody wants to be the the black sheep out, out uh, hanging out near the forest edge, right? A lot of people want to be in the middle being told where to go. And I agree. I agree. And that's why I wish this story had started after the majority of humanity had right. been so humanized. It's because it's a utopian story. And then it's, it's a yeah, I, I think we need to take a step here and explain, because we haven't really told people what's going on. Okay. Um, sh- I mean, shouldn't we? It's The whole idea is that if they were jacked together for – a long enough period of time that the empathy would be created that wouldn't allow anyone to kill anybody else. Right. You wouldn't, couldn't kill someone else because it'd be like killing yourself. Right. In, in 98% of humanity. 98% right. of humanity. Okay. And that extra 2% was what? 600 million people or something like that? Well, the, yeah, they, I don't know if that was actually what they came up with, but they were saying if it was only, if it was only two percent of humanity, it'd be one hundred twenty million people or something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't know if we. I mean, there could be a sequel novel that w- would explore that, uh, but I don't know if we. Are there people like? Are there people at the end of the novel who cannot uh, be? They called it humanized. I thought that was <laughs> a <Yeah>. very uh, <laughs> loaded term, right? Yep. Um, are there people at the end of the novel who can't be humanized, or are there just people who aren't, haven't been humanized? Well, we know two of them. I mean, right. they, they, they cannot ever be ha- humanized, our protagonists. Yeah, and that, that, that makes it thematically similar, I think, to, uh, to the Forever Peace, uh, so the Forever, Forever War. War. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. uh, at one point they go back to Earth, and 
uh, find everybody's gay, and then they go back to Earth again. Right. And there's only one person on the planet anymore, right? Yeah. They're all clones of each other. Um, yeah, the time dilation was great in that. And the yeah. fact that, the, that his girl intentionally did it so she'd be the same age when he, they both popped out the other. I mean, that was great. That yeah, was, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's a, a giant of SF, that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, does that explain <laughs> does, does that explain a well, lot that, of that's it? Well, that's enough. I, you know, I was just thinking, you know, we wouldn't understand what's going on. I, I recall another book um, by Orson Scott Card. It called the memory of earth mm-hmm. and on that it tried to more directly in fact it's actually um a retelling of a book from the book of mormon but it, it is um trying to more directly show kind of a godlike situation where um in that book there was a colony that was created and there were satellites put into orbit that would actually control you so that if you thought about hurting another human being, it would change your mind or redirect your mind so that you forgot that you thought of that and you'd just move on and not even know that you thought that thought. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, over the years, the, the satellites start to fail. So um, anyway, I thought of that during this, this book a little bit. Yeah, it's a good tie-in. It's mm-hmm. a good tie-in. And, and that's exactly what I mean why I wish this happened afterwards. I mean, if, you're, if you belong to a religion that believes in karma, being humanized means you hit enlightenment in one generation. You never come back as a bug. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's the ramifications okay. that I'm more interested in than the, <laughs> you know what I mean, than the yeah, process yeah. it took, the, the caper it took to, to fool everybody into doing it in the first place. That that part felt like a combination of uh, Moon is a harsh mistress, where they've got this, they're they're working on cells and they're trying to make yeah. a revolution, yeah. Um, and also uh, the word grok kept coming to mind. Do you grok? Are you are you one of the one of the group? You know, uh, from uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, right? Um, but uh, in a way, I mean, I, if I I was trying to see if I was in this situation, how would I feel? Well, I don't sympathize with the enemies, right? The enemies of, uh, in this book are a group from what's called the Hammer of God, right? They're, uh, it said on the Wikipedia entry that they're Christian, but I, I don't remember specifically Christian. I remember them being, uh, they wanted to end the world because they, God is going to, uh, uh, God wants us to end the world or something right. like that, right? We have, we have modern parallels for that. Yeah, and, and that's, on- yeah, absolutely, like, Jonestown and uh, no, no, no. David Crash and stuff, right? There are all these fundamentalists that like give money to Israel because they believe that's where the apocalypse will happen, and they're trying to speed it up. But they're Christians, and they hate Jews, but they give Israel money. Makes no sense. I swear to God. No, he's, he's right. He, they, I believe you. I just <laughs> I don't understand people. I know. Me neither. But the, the really interesting thing about this is that they gave us a group that was a religion that had to believe in evolution in order for them to object to the central plot device. <laughs> huh. Well, if you think about it, they, they, you know, this was punctuated equilibrium. They were going to move the human race a, a, a step forward on the right. evolutionary scale. So you had to believe in evolution to, to believe that it was a threat that they could do it. Well, I think, I think some people, some, I, I know some people who don't believe in evolution don't not believe because it's 
it's they don't think the science is good. They don't not believe because they don't want to go down that path because that leads to all sorts of questioning of of you know if if you're treating the Bible like a a uh, science book, uh, it's got you know you're going to start right. getting into conflicts and internal consistency and. And so they don't want to even start down that path. So they say, you know, evolution is probably true, but I'm not going to acknowledge it because then it makes us question the whole thing. And okay. in that sense, it makes sense, right? I, I, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I was just pointing out that this was a religion that was objecting to getting rid of violence. Yeah, and see, I think, I think that th- there is something to that because the way I was thinking about what those people are doing you know, if if you said Jesse, you want to join us and become humanized, I would say no, because uh, not because I don't think violence is uh, a bad thing. It's because I don't want that taken out of my toolkit, right? Right. Um, I want to have that in the background because really, what they're doing is they're disabling people. It's like they're it, yeah. Think of think of it this way. Um, you're not be, take away the word humanized and say we're going to drill into your brain and put a device in your brain and then after you, we connect you to this machine, uh, this machine and other people for a while you won't have those feelings anymore and I say I'm not going to do that <laughs> <laughs> I don't right. want to be disabled like yeah, that yeah that's and, interesting and it would be interesting like Greg's saying to hear what happens you know what's the world like a hundred years after this happens because it's a utopian dystopia. I it's think. a utopian dystopia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Forever yeah. Free doesn't cover that. No, I think it's. I think it's a, a direct sequel to the first bow. Uh, yeah, Mandela. We pick up Mandela right, right where we left him. I think. I think that's right. Uh, hmm. I haven't read it though, so I but can't the, say. The, I think the central problem with what you're trying to target, Jesse, is is what's called Malthusian theory. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's, that's the you know the, the population grows exponentially, but the food supply grows arithmetically, mm-hmm. and and so you get people that go you know two four eight sixteen, but the agriculture goes two four six eight ten twelve, and so you're always behind, which means you need to compete for resources, which means you need to have aggressive tendencies because it's you or them. There's never enough food, and if we extrapolate that out to just resources you know it's competition for resources we're back to evolution again well i i didn't i actually didn't think of evolution i mean i know there there are specific references to species and you know there's a subspecies but you know what it made me think of is this is actually a, a book that is uh the singularity it's showing what the singularity is right everybody coming together and evolving past a certain point and i guess the singularity is a technological evolution whereas this is a person evolution but it's 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 not really evolution if you have to get the kid in you know turn him over on the bed and drill a hole in the back of his head and then put in a you know some electronic equipment right that right. that I, is not is, evolution anymore That's, how is this different from ludovico in clockwork orange uh hmm well i i guess it's not except um he, he his was all negative right he had uh he had um Negative feelings when he had negative feelings, right? Right, he, right, right. He, he doesn't have any. Po- See, I, I think the disability that the characters who have been humanized show is uh, is is that they just can't do it in the sense that they 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 would feel wrong. It would be so wrong as to be 
impossible to do rather than it's not physically cap- they're not physically capable of doing it because in a way by walking out of the room when he says walk out of the room i got to do something they know what's going to happen right so it's not that they they are morally uh, opposed right. to it <laughs> they're, they're actually in favor of it. it's like they've been disabled right just like someone who can't jump out of an airplane because they don't want to jump out of an airplane with a parachute they just won't yeah they can't do it right you have to physically yeah. throw them out of the airplane. I I want the option to uh, uh, not be forced into one camp or the other. I want to ha- keep my own brains as they are. <laughs> yeah, I need my murderer. <laughs> well, I think I I think a lot of the points that are made with regard to the the you know the, if if the enemy wasn't there, right? If they don't have this um, this end this world that's a group that's trying to end the world. And they don't have a weapon that could do it, then there's absolutely no reason to to do it other than to try and socially engineer the world and to try and take away all violence and blah 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 blah, right? Yes, I, I don't think we can solve that problem by I, I don't I think human nature wouldn't doesn't work like this. I don't think uh, I, I, empathy, you know, is enough. I agree. I agree. Yeah, because there, there's things that are going to override that. Like if your yeah. kids are threatened or whatever, you know, how how's yeah. a person going to react in that situation? That'd be an interesting uh, scene. Well, they say yeah. they can still do things in self-defense. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it seems pretty. Um, I can guess. It's yeah. It's but it's it's like a very abstract way of self-defense, right? It's not really, uh, you know, the the way they solve their problems of having to. They need to be able to kill people is they get someone else to do it right that's so they are solving their problems but they're doing it in a very abstract way it's like a guy who says i i i, I can't eat meat but if you kill the animal i can <laughs> <laughs> right which is most call, of humanity well uh, but see i think i'm capable of doing it i just don't want to right yeah it's messy it's messy and it might be traumatizing for me um but i could be traumatized and i'm i'm sure i i could get used to it and uh, and then I'd still do it, right? It's just it. Why why, uh, why go through all that mess? Right, mm-hmm. and that's why you need your need your murderer. <laughs> you need that guy. You, you need him in your back pocket for if, later. If it all goes to shit, I guarantee you, Jesse, we're going to be eating meat. <laughs> Human meat. That's and right. Call Julian to slaughter the cow. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. um. I wanted to give you a couple of. I made a couple notes. Uh, one of them was about the Heinlein likeness of this book, and I guess Haldeman has sort of been thought of as a Heinlein-like writer before. With with the first book in this uh, series, he was you know some. I I've compared it to uh, Heinlein Starship Troopers, but I think it's a very different. Um, so that was one of the notes I made, and then. Um, uh, the other note I made was false consciousness. This doesn't come up in the book at all, but I, I was really interested in false consciousness when I heard about it in university. And false consciousness is the idea that you can do something that's that's uh, against your own interests because you have a uh, a part of you that thinks it is in your own interest. Um, so the this is I think comes up in feminism uh, or women's studies classes where we've got someone who is a servant, who is a lowly person, 
and who thinks that it is only right and proper that they be uh, a lowly person, right? Where, whereas we would say they need to be raised up to the proper level, their equality with everyone else. And I think that somebody in this story has got to be suffering from this. If, if it is a real problem, I, I, I think it's a, a nice model to describe what... I don't think I'm following you exactly. You're saying that um, they have a part of themselves that is telling them that something is true or that something is in their best interest when it is not? Um, let me see if a I can... A tea party? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, could be. Um, I, uh, let me just see if I can find a definition. Okay. All right. Mar- false consciousness is uh, the Marxist thesis that the material and institutional processes in a capitalist society are misleading to the proletariat and other classes. These processes betray the true relations of forces between those classes and the real estate, uh, real space, estate, real state affairs regarding the development of pre-socialist society. So this is his theory to explain why people are against Marxism, (laughs) right? Okay. The reason you would, yeah, like the Tea Party would be against their own interests is because they have have adopted a false consciousness, right? It's not their real consciousness. So the false consciousness means a collective belief of a group of people. Is that what you're saying? No, no, it's an individual, I think. Well, it can be... There can be no. I think Scott's more on the line here. There can be a charismatic individual at the top, and it has to be an individual decision on each person's part to believe in something that they suspect is not true. But it's still a group think kind of thing. It's a. It's a. You know, I. I just think that this is something that you need other people to bolster in order for you to maintain. Does it make mm. sense? Yeah. I think so. Mm. Um, so what, what is that in relation to this book then? What, well, what do you... well, for example, um, when uh, we've, got, we've got, remember uh, our hero, uh, Sergeant Class, is running through the jungle and he, he, they, they are supposed to kidnap somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks as if it's a routine sort of thing. But he also has this sort of underlying feeling that uh, you know this is not this is not proper behavior, right? But he's following orders, and I guess nobody's going to get killed, so it's okay, right? So he's got, uh, in a way, he's got a little bit of false consciousness in the sense that he he uh, one one way to think of false consciousness is uh, an example would be Stockholm syndrome, right? You you kidnap somebody, you you say. You're now part of the uh, the terrorist uprising against socialism or whatever whatever group it is, right? And then and then you you stick with those people long enough, and eventually you're a part of the group, even though really you were kidnapped and you really have no interest. Your life was good before that. You should be fighting against them, right? So we would say you you're suffering from false consciousness, perhaps. Um, so so when you identify with your oppressor. Right. You generate a false consciousness. Uh, it, it could be. Th- that's one way of, of looking at it. Um, okay. Uh, I, think, I think the problem is, is it's just like a lot of Marxism. It's, it's just stuff, ideas rather than stuff that you can, you know, 
test. It's all models of what, what trying to explain the behavior of why people do things that are against their own interests, right? And this is one, one idea. But our, our, our main character is a soldier, but he doesn't want to be a soldier, right? He was drafted. He wants to be back teaching classes, but he takes some pride in, in being able to do his work. And also he, uh, he is comrades with his fellow soldiers, right? So this is kind of like probably the way Joe Haldeman would, would think of his time in Southeast Asia, right? It, it, it was a pretty negative experience. He had to go around killing people. Uh, our main character class is feels guilt about murdering somebody, he says, um, or killing somebody, a kid. Um, he didn't want to kill him, but the, kill, the kid was killed because of something he did, right? This is what happens in war. Um, and, and also the woman he kidnaps, the mayor of some small town in uh, Costa Rica, um, she, she has some sort of false consciousness as well, right? She's or maybe she's maybe she doesn't actually. I think that's not true. She she is fighting against the oppressors who are refusing the material wealth uh, that is um, available if if they had this equal techno access to the technology uh, that the first world countries have. I think that's what's causing the 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 conflicts around the world. It wasn't exactly clear, but um, oh, and, it's clear. We're we're. We're holding the world hostage. Yeah, but uh, I mean, are we extracting resources from Costa Rica? It's it's not like what are we taking from there? It, it, that didn't come up in the story, as far as I'm aware, right? It, no, the, no, but they did say you need certain resources that the right. Nano Ford requires. It can't it can't make it out of dirt. It's right. You know, it needs plutonium. Yeah, yeah. It needs plutonium. Um, and but so, I don't think there was anything in particular like we didn't get, you know, they're in Iraq for oil or whatever. <laughs> no, I, I think they wanted he wanted to do Costa Rica because we have so many expat Americans down there. And he wanted he does mention them at one point. That, yeah. That, yeah. So I think he wanted Anglos. something. Yeah. Something that was half and half. Well, um, when when you do get to uh, the later on in the book, right, he meets with her again and she comes up to him. Uh, in what I would say is like a kind of um, uh, in a kind of Stockholm Syndrome situation saying, uh, I really appreciate what you did for me. You saved my life and uh, I, I thank you very much. <laughs> right. yeah. when, well, what, what has really changed? Well, I guess if this humanization or whatever, if they get this system to work, then everyone would naturally send their nanoforge down to the other place because they need it, right? It's it's like uh, to what is it to the all according to their need and and right. such, right? But that's not what she she said. She made a Plato's cave argument. She said, "Thank you for you know exposing me to the light and keeping right. me from looking at shadows." She didn't say, "Am I going to get a nano forge now?" Right, but um, we're assuming that she will get a nano forge or they will get a nano forge. But the important part is. In either case, right, either she was suffering from false consciousness before or now she is. Because something yes. is, one of those two consciousnesses is false. If, if uh, false consciousness is a, is a valid idea, one of those two things doesn't work. Are you making an argument for absolute truth? <laughs> I was singing that exact same thing. No, I, was, I was cheering. I'm not. Because, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> but it boy. sounds like that, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't believe in absolute truth. 
No, I don't. Uh, I'm not sure what the word truth means, uh, other than in opposition to uh, falsity, right? If you've got some ideas out there that you say, this is true because of this, then I will say, okay, what are you basing it on? And then that's all I've got. But, but uh, like, I, I once had a conversation with Julie by, by uh, email. I was typing on my iPhone, so a very short conversation on my, my end. And she, I don't know how we got on the topic, but we talked about murder. And uh, I say, you know, one person's murder is another person's, you know, dinner. Um, a lot of people use the word murder to apply to things I don't consider murder. And yet, you know, she was, she was very upset by this because obviously uh, if you know someone who's been quote unquote murdered, um, you are not, <laughs> uh, you don't want to go with the, um, with the everything's relative definition and that's not what i'm saying exactly i'm saying everything is relative to something and if we've got a set of community standards which is uh i don't want you violating my body space with any knives or guns or bullets i should say then so are, are you just uh, saying then that in, in, in morality morality there's no absolute truth or you're saying that there's no absolute truth period like that the statement god exists or he doesn't exist is n- not even a, a good premise well, I think in that case, we'd have to say, what do you mean by God, right? Okay, well, uh, assuming, exists, well assuming we agree on the definition of God, if you say <laughs> God exists or he doesn't exist, is there an answer to that question? Uh, it, it, well, Truth changes as we get to know it better. Okay, but that's not here. a changing of point, truth. That's knowledge, though. That's, that's a, a gaining of no, knowledge. No, no, no. What I'm saying is you stop at any point in time and define God, a millisecond later, the definition has changed. Okay? It, okay. it has to do with your greater understanding. It's not that, that the God concept changes. Right, but, it's but that if, your if God exists, changes. God didn't change there. Our understanding of God changed. Well, That's we correct. Can ima- but, um, but, I think- but every truth you had prior to this was a false truth. And the one you have after this makes the one you have right now a See, false Because the thing is, I'm, I, I, I can agree with you guys to a point, but what, what I don't understand, and it seems to me that you're agreeing with me, that if there is a God out there and we, if there is a God out there, um, let's see, how I to phrase why, this, why either he exists or he doesn't exist. I, I, I think that Regardless that, of what that, we understand about him, that that statement it's hard is to, true. It's hard to use God as an example because okay. that's, that's, that's something that, so let's, let's talk about aliens for a second, right? Okay. There is a fact in the universe, whether there is a human being, a human-like being on another planet that isn't from Earth, right? We could assume that there is a fact out there. Yeah, um, it's true or it isn't now, true the that The truth of that yeah. is not determined by uh, your arguments in favor of it or my arguments in favor of it without a- access to information. It's determined by the fact of the matter. Possibly. <laughs> That's what I would no, say. No, no, no. It seems but it's to be not, the case. Th- that's the thing. It we we have we case. have a concrete fact, a bedrock of truth, that says that there are aliens on this other planet, or there are not. What we believe about that is irrelevant, and how uh, viciously we I argue, it's that, irrelevant. That, that, they that, exist or they don't exist. I think, that, I think you may be right. That's correct. That, that that's is correct. That's correct. Right. So. Um, but no, no, I, I no, agree no, with no, you no, guys. No. It's not correct. 
I said, well, how can it not be correct, Jesse? (laughs) How can that not be correct? I don't have enough access to the universe to know whether that that is true or not. Well, no, he gave you the premise. I I got the premise. It seems to make sense to me, but I could, I need to be able to revise my opinion later on. And that's Aristotle. This is Aristotle. It's a law of non-contradiction. Something either is or isn't. It can't be both at the same time. Exactly. That that seems to be the case. When I I say that there's absolute (laughs) truth, that's what I mean. Something is or it isn't. It can't be both. Uh, That seems to be the case. But your ability to determine the absoluteness of it is flawed. Yes. And I I agree with with what you said there. Our ability to understand the universe... Um, you know, the, the, the entire earth society will be transformed someday. I, I believe, you know, if, if an alien came down and said, Hey, you know, I exist. And, um, I, I believe that the, you know, from that certain knowledge, um, humanity will act differently. You know, what that difference will be. Well, what that difference will be, I I don't know, but I'm just saying that um, every time, every time right now, right now it's in the air. We don't have a concrete fact, yes or no. So I can't say that it's absolute truth that aliens exist, but I can say that there is a bedrock of truth that aliens do exist or they don't exist. Whether I know the truth or not doesn't make any difference, but the absolute truth of it exists. My point is that tomorrow morning we wake up and the definition of life changes mm-hmm. and now your truth is all shot to hell you yeah, can't so, uh, alien alien uh aliens that are uh, uh programs alien programs not aliens themselves but alien programs it's sure, some, it's sure. some electronic piece of life uh they come down to earth and they say we're here we're invading your software <laughs> <laughs> well i i <laughs> think say, i think i think i'm in agreement with greg i don't know that i'm in agreement with jesse because I do, I do understand what you're saying. Know. Our our That's perception of our perception of reality changes with um, the revelation of knowledge as we as we learn more, as we understand more, as our definitions change. Um, our what we consider true changes. That sounds right. Okay? but, but yeah, there is I a there know. is a fact though. There is a bedrock well, bedrock be of way. truth though, whether something is or isn't. It cannot but be. Will both. it always be that way? How can it not always be that way? Well, see, that's the wrong question, right? How can it not always be that way? Is like saying, how can you not know how to tie your shoes? <laughs> is this? Well, you cannot know this, how to tie your shoes. Is this microphone in front of my face right now, or isn't it? There is an answer seems, to that question. It seems to be. All right. It seems to be at the moment. The answer is yes. It is true that it is right. The matrix. But it's, is it true? Well, Scott. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm not. I mean, the thing that always gets me off jury duty, and I'm not trying to get off jury duty, <laughs> is that I say I can find reasonable doubt in my own existence. And they say, out of here. Yeah, basically. Okay? And I can find reasonable doubt in my own existence. Yeah, yeah I, I, just, can't. You know, I can't. I can't. I can't. Yeah, you can. You can say, how, how do I know I'm not dreaming right this second? If I'm dreaming, right? and, who's the dreamer? I exist either way. And, and no, something exists. See, I think a lot of people, they make this mistake. They say, uh, I think, therefore, I am. Well, that actually is not a uh, complete right. thought because the I is, is a given that isn't there. There's thinking. That's not- there is thinking, therefore, there is thinking. That's what's I- actually you know. There is actual or there is 
<laughs> perception of thinking. Therefore, there is a perceiver. But that doesn't mean it's you. That is not what Descartes meant. They, they, it's not. The unfortunate not. choice of words. What he really meant to say is, I doubt, that, therefore I am. So that, what, that is a much better way of putting it, but that's not but, the way people understand it. And that's not what right. you take away from it. But the conclusion he reached, he started out and said, okay, I'm going to assume nothing is real. And I'm just going to try to come up with some sort of argument for something being real. And the only thing he had, anything he came up with, he said, well, I can dismiss that. What he came up with is somebody is doubting, and that has to be me. Mm-hmm. Well, that the has doubter, to be the doubter. Right? Mm-hmm. right. Doubt exists, therefore there is doubt. It doesn't right. get you very far. Right. Very far. But um, I, and this is why, uh, you know, everybody studies uh, him, but nobody, uh, nobody's built a giant philosophy based upon what he I mean, they, they've written lots of science fiction stories based on, <laughs> on what his ideas are. But really, there's no philosophy that is derived from it other than, you know, in opposition. Right. Uh, there's other people who are trying to I, I don't want to get down that path, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> How does this relate back to the book? Dama, what's your take on this? Uh, I, I have no take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the whole, the whole reason that we got onto this is because you were talking about false uh, consciousness. and Right. Um, I just, I, I, I'm skeptical of both situations. I don't know whether this woman is right, whether uh, class is right. I don't know who's right, uh, but I don't want to be... Uh, in either of those person's shoes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I don't think that this is how human, human, humans work. I don't think it's possible to create this technology. I don't, I don't think the, the mind works that way. I don't think this is about right or wrong. I think it's about good and bad. <laughs> okay. Let's hear a little bit of that. What's, what's the difference there? Well, no, it, I mean, it may be preferable to live in a peaceful world, which is the good and bad argument. I'm not going to make a qualitative judgment as to whether that's right or wrong. Okay. Hello? Is this yep, hello. <laughs> just thinking about what that I'm is. I'm just thinking about that, yeah. Okay. So does Joe Haldeman think that it's right? Well, I... I think that Joe Haldeman sees it as a mass of conflicting impulses, which is the way he presented it, that, that he had, he was ambivalent and he wasn't sure one way or the other, either way. And he just threw, that's why it doesn't take place after the change. It takes place before the change because it's easy to plot something that's just a caper trying to outsmart the military, trying to do that. And he knows the military. There is that Heinlein connection. They're both militaristic thinkers, although, I think very differently. Heinlein was far more conservative. He joined, he, I don't think he was drafted. I think yes. he, he chose to be in there. But I do think that I would draw a parallel between this and maybe, um, what do they call this? The, the future history stories? Is yeah. Heinlein? Yeah. Okay, where the, the roads must roll and all that sort of stuff, those, those stories. Um, that's not too far from the militaristic conception of the order of society that Haldeman presents as well. Um, the other, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the other word, word that came to mind, and actually, it eventually came into the story too, uh, that I made a note of. It was religious conversion, right? 
uh, in a way, um, a religious conversion is is where you, you're, you're going along and you say, I don't believe this, and then suddenly, all of a sudden, you believe it, right? Um, and th- that's how they actually describe, some of the people describe their, their change from being a regular person to a humanized person. They had a religious conversion. And I, I thought that that was, uh, I, I anticipated that I would talk about it, and then it actually is mentioned in the story. What did you guys think about that? Well, I, I would say that it would certainly be on the level of a religious conversion. Um, you know, anything that makes you change your behavior fundamentally, you know, is a, a change in the most basic ideas you've got, you know. So yeah. I, I can see how, you know, it can certainly be compared to a religious conversion and, you know, the same effect, right? You know, similar, similar. effect is what I mean. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I think you need to take, take rationalism out of this thing altogether. <laughs> when, you're, when you're jacked together, it's an empathetic thing. I mean, you said telepathy more earlier. It's not yeah. telepathy. It's total immersion. I yeah. mean, you, you, your thoughts are mingling. You have the same information. If you know how to speak Airdo and I jack with you, I suddenly can speak Airdo. But only as long as we're jacked. Right. So it, it, it's, it's all about feeling. It's not about that rational thought. And religious conversions are all about feeling. I mean, you can't, I mean, Jonathan Swift said, you can't reason someone out of something they were not reasoned into. <laughs> I think that's okay. a, uh, I think you say that every podcast now. I think you uh, well, that. it comes up. I don't know why we keep talking maybe, maybe, about the same maybe, crap. Yeah, but, we, uh, we, we all have the same problem. We haven't been converted to Gregism yet. <laughs> well, no, Gregism really only has two tenets. Greg. Two tenets in Gregism. It's really simple. The first you just heard, you can't, you know. Uh, uh-huh. the, the second is what you believe doesn't have to be true. Hmm. Well, who says? There's, I know there's millions of people who believe differently than me. Well, Alan so Moore, Alan Moore uh, you know, the comic book uh, writer, he, 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 has, he invented his own religion based on a snake. And okay. he's a really smart guy. I, I think he doesn't believe it, but he thinks it's cool. <laughs> and then I say, okay, well, I guess I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but how can you believe this? It's cool. What? Okay, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it doesn't exactly. affect his car yeah. driving. Yeah, it probably doesn't affect his, his car driving, no. Right. So, but, you know, to get back to the point, it, it is all about feeling. And so this is conversion, despite the fact that there's some mechanical aspect to it, is entirely subjective. It is, it is you know, it's, it has no rational aspect to it at all. You just change the way you feel, not the way you think. Hmm. Hello? Hello, Hello. Oh, no, I'm still here. <laughs> um, yeah. pondering. No, I, mean, I, I would object, I would object <laughs> to the fact that, you know, I'm a Catholic because of feeling, you know, Certainly that that's part of it, but it's certainly not all of it because I wouldn't be able to stay there as long as I have, you know? Well, I wasn't speaking about Catholics per se. I was speaking mm-hmm. about the, the characters in the book, that the jacking was a feeling thing, not a thinking thing. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about religious conversion in general. 
No, because but the you first... were never converted, Scott. You were you were born Catholic, right? Well, I, I was yeah, born Catholic, and then I the went first... through I went through a long period where, um, you know, from about thirteen, I rebelled at thirteen, and I kind of went into this uh, the Joseph Campbell, um, everything's true kind of a situation, and I was mm-hmm. pretty much there for a long, long time, and then um, I joined the church again, probably. Was it eight or nine years ago or something like that? Uh, so I, I guess, I guess I yeah, I was born into Catholicism, but um, yeah, I did go you through a period where I was. What's that? You just scraped the rust off and, and polished <laughs> up the sword and right. went off to war again. Or mm-hmm. whatever, whatever metaphor that works to get to, that doesn't, doesn't mean you, you didn't beat your sword into a plowshare. <laughs> and then re- beat it back into a sword. Yeah. <laughs> it was just sitting idly rusty on the side of the, I don't know. <laughs> Correct. Well, yeah, you're probably right. Born yeah. into it, with, I mean, he was born with a plowshare, not a sword. Mm. <laughs> uh, then I well, beat it into a sword, and then I. I suppose the yeah. sword is a little more interesting, I think, than mm. the plowshare. Right. Well, literarily, yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's. The, the metaphor Scott will want to go with, but that's the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not trying to pick on any particular religion. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I, it, it's all one category to me. It's all magical thinking. Well, in the, in, the, in the book, there is actually, um, there is a little exchange. I think, uh, was is it Class who says he's, he's, he's an atheist and he jacks with a woman who is a Catholic and she says, uh, "Oh, that's your that's true for you, and uh, that's fine." And then, and then he was exactly. like, he he was like, uh, "I don't I don't know about that," uh, or no, maybe he was he was like, and and she was gospel, and that was good for her. I can't remember exactly how it went, but um, they didn't seem to have a problem with it. Hmm. Except, I, I think this book is about religion in a way, and I wanted to actually touch on um, one of the things that really bothers me in. Uh, villain writing is they just make the guy completely unreasonable. Uh, in that way, it's a Heinlein like as well. I mean, the the bad guys in this book are uh, religious wackos who want to end the world, um, and it seems like lazy, lazy writing. Like I want somebody who. You know, it's an easy target. Everybody agrees religious wackos who want to end the world, except for the religious wackos who want to end the world, probably shouldn't, you know, try and do what they're doing because it interferes with whatever, what everyone else is doing, right? But um, can't we get some some villains who aren't religious wackos? I mean, I, I just watched a movie called Source Code. You guys seen that? Not, not a very no, good movie. I, I haven't, yeah. I heard it wasn't oh, very good, good, so I passed it's it It's not up. very good. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, very isn't that the guy that made Moon? Yeah, it is. The guy that made Moon. Yeah, Moon is fantastic. Like Moon. Yeah, there, Moon was there terrific. There are some good things in this book, uh, in this book, this this movie. Uh, but the, I guess if there is a bad guy, the terrorist, he's a, uh, he's a, uh, he's just like the bad guys in this book. Um, he he wants to blow up the world so that the world can be remade new and blah 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 and. Yeah. That's his plan. <laughs> just kill people, and and then the world will be good again. Um, uh, but my only problem with arguing this way is that that actually seems to be um, actually happening in the world. You know, people actually uh, that just happened in Norway, right? Some whack job 
went and killed a bunch of people uh, for the reason being he wanted to create a conflict that would re-Christianize whatever. Hmm. The point he... He is actually a villain, and almost everybody agrees is a villain. Can't we get some other kinds of villains? Is it impossible to have other kinds of villains anymore? Have <laughs> 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 we just gone past the well, point? I think that we're infatuated. It used to be that we, oh, this behavior always existed. It was just that no one guy could do that much damage. And so we've been infatuated over the last hundred years. He killed 60 people or something. I mean, that's amazing that one person could do that. I'm not not in a good way, but that technology, I mean, that's sort of what this, that's why I feel ambivalent about this book is because it feels unrealistic and yet it's exactly what's happening, right? If we had an ultimate weapon, somebody would want to press the button, right? And blow it up. Yes, but it is, you know, I mean, if you read, von Clausewitz or whatever, it, it says that, you know, war is, is political. War is, is physicality imposed upon politics. You try all the political ways of getting it done, you can't get it done, so you kill people. And, it, and it's just, an, <laughs> it's just the, the end to politics. And in that respect, war is an inevitable result of humanity, which they try and touch on in this book, but they barely scrape the surface. Um, but yeah, that's that that that's the central question for me. It's just not a central question for Holdman. It looks like mm-hmm. the only the only other uh, villain that uh, I can think of that actually I thought finally this is a good villain in the last like fifteen twenty years of stories that I said this guy is a villain and he's a good villain because he does exactly what I want him to do. He makes me like him and understand him and also hate him. And that was uh, in the movie, uh, the Serenity movie, the bad guy in that. Is that played by Chiwetel Ejiofor or something? I think um, he was he was a bad guy. He was doing bad things, but he was doing it for the greater good. And he knew that he would not uh, be. He was doing it for a better society. He thought, yeah. and yet he knew what he was doing was wrong, and, I, and he I accepted those... that he was. He was not appropriate for for the society he was trying to build. Yeah, and I agree hundred percent. Because I'm just saying the 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 having a yeah. villain and a protagonist that are both acting in what they believe is the best interest of themselves and the society that they're in. Um, that's the most effective type of characters, in my opinion. Um, other than you know just yeah. coming up with a reason for them to be this way. Um, in Serenity, especially, they were right, both. They were both. Out. Yeah, they were both absolutely sure that they were doing the right thing, and they were just in conflict. You know. Right, right, and that that you know that was oh, the a six-year story arc pushed into a ninety-minute movie or whatever. So uh, that it had it, he'd barely make a point and move on. I mean, it was obvious that he had six years worth of story in there and uh-huh. just crammed it all in to try and finish the thing out. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, they, they, and, and that's not too different from most wars. I mean, Robert E. Lee thought that the economy would collapse. He actually believed that mm-hmm. he, he wasn't, you know, he went to West Point. He was a regular stand up guy. He was a, so it was an honest disagreement that, that caused the death of, 700,000 people. Right. Well, uh, mm-hmm. in a way, I guess, uh, you know, the, 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 the villain of villains, even though, even though he is not, 
really the most villainous person in the history of the universe. Uh, Hitler is the standard villain because he has an ideology that he really wants to push on everybody else, and it doesn't include them, right? Mm. Um, whereas, I, I mean, I think the case could be made that, that Stalin is a much worse person <laughs> than Hitler was, given, you know, the, just the numbers or, you know, some people argue Mao is the same way. Um, this is the case where the, if the people are desensitized to the suffering of others, um, but because their ideology is, is more important than the suffering of the others, you say, oh, well, I understand why they're doing it. People call Hitler insane. He's not insane. He just knew, well, at least not for the most part. Um, he had a plan that was completely in conflict with everybody else's, and that makes him so horrible as to be a great villain. Um, now, I, I remember I watched a documentary not that long ago about talking about um, when Roosevelt, was it Roosevelt, went to see uh, Stalin with um, Churchill. And mm-hmm. uh, during one of the dinners, um, I think Churchill, um, Churchill and Stalin were talking and they're having a good time smoking cigars and drinking. And um, and Stalin started talking about all the problems he was having with the with the people on the uh, farmers who didn't want to be collectivized, right? And he said, "You know how much trouble these people are causing me? It's I, I literally have to kill them, millions of people. I have to kill them because they won't submit to the collectivized farms. I just I don't understand these people. I'm like, oh my god, this is horrible. <laughs> but he's just admitting to what he's doing and and. And Churchill has to sit there and say, yeah, yeah, well, um, uh, I guess we've got to get back to fighting Hitler now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, wow. they, I mean, his, his insanity was, I mean, he truly was batshit crazy. I mean, the result of syphilis. So, uh, you know, I don't, I mean, uh, he, they also, uh, Churchill and, and FDR called him Uncle Joe right. once. And he freaked out. I mean, he, he, <laughs> He thought it was an insult. He went, you know, I mean, so the guy, he was losing it by then. And, and it really went downhill from that point forward. But uh, so. there's, a, there's a noir story for you, Scott. Mm-hmm. The bad guy wins, and he dies in bed, uh, having gotten everything he wanted. <laughs> not, yeah. not, not Hitler. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Stalin, right? right, right. The, Hitler, Hitler has a, you know, sort of a standard Wagnerian ending with the world crashing down around him and he kills himself. Well, maybe that's not Wagnerian, but he has a sort of a, uh, a Greek style ending. Whereas, well, maybe I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, it's called an evil more, more frightening, I think, than Hitler's end. Because mm-hmm. he, he got what he wanted. And he, he... But no, he didn't. He wanted the world. He only got a hunk of it. Well... I suppose <laughs> he got a lot. I, I guarantee it. If he were part of this podcast, he would argue that we were not splitting hairs over that. He wanted the world. Oh, he probably did, but um, he got he, he he didn't lose it all. Um, I guess true, true. I, well, I guess he did lose it all when he died, but that's that's another argument. Um, all right. Well, uh, what else you guys got? Uh, I was going to mention the alien in. Uh... Peter Hamilton's Pandora Star. Mm-hmm. Okay. The alien in that isn't actually evil. It's just like really dirty, and uh, it's just his way of living is in conflict with uh, the rest of humanity. I know that's too long for you, and you'll never read it, but 
I thought I'd bring it up. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, and then if going back to card, I know I mentioned Orson Scott card earlier, but in the Ender's Game universe, there's the buggers in that universe. They're not evil. They're just again in conflict. It, he called it a Verels or something like that, where if you have an alien race that you can't communicate with, um, you're destined for conflict because you don't understand each other. You know, it's possible. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if that's true. It, it depends seems, on if it, it, if, it if, like if resources possible. are limited. I, I imagine that would be a um, you know, and I could be putting words into his mouth, but there was it had something to do with the fact that the buggers you can't communicate with them or they couldn't until Ender came along and until Ender came along and understood what they wanted. That was the only way that they could live in peace is like, Oh, this is what you guys are trying to do. So let's help you do that. And then, uh, all will be well. Well, you do have to communicate. Mm -hmm. What's that, Tam? Well, was that in the first book? Um, no speaker for the dead speaker for the dead. was one that started to come up. Yeah. I think he has. Uh, doesn't Ender have communion with the, uh, with uh, one of the aliens at the end of the uh, first book, first novel? Yeah, at like the end of the first, the first book, yeah. he he oh. leaves and he's got the, um, I don't know what you call it, like a cocoon or something. And then yeah, he, he's got an egg or something. Right, <clears throat> and then he goes using relativistic travel. He goes somewhere, and then so Speaker for the Dead takes place a long time after that, but he's still, you know, young but he's got this cocoon. I, I, there are other kinds of villains. I, you know, zombies are a kind of villain where it's not really a villain. It's just sort of a force of nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm talking like people, right? You know, right. I'm talking uh, uh, someone who has a motivation that is logical and yet op- opposing enough to, you know, get into real conflict with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heinleinian sort of villains seem to be just stupid, like somebody who is stupid or officious, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not. Uh, they don't have an opposite uh, kind of. They don't have some ideology, perhaps, that they are trying to enact. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not diabolical. Yeah, they're definitely not diabolical because they. Like I mean, think of think of the war between in Moon is the Harsh Mistress. The war between the Moon and the Earth. What's the problem with the Moon and the Earth? The Earth wants to control the Moon. The Moon doesn't want to be controlled. That's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the Earth thinks it's higher than the Moon. It's that their level should be higher. We should control you. And the Moon says, No, actually, we have the technology to control ourselves, and we can control uh, you. We've got bombs, and so the, there's conflict. But the Earth people don't realize this until you know they're bombed into submission or something. So th- there's no, um, you know, they're not smart villains. Right, right. It, it is kind of the ultimate orbital platform. You just drop things off every now and then and blow up the world. It's kind of um, it's kind of like the English Empire, you know, the yeah. Empire of England. Empire of England is says, well, we. We want to occupy you, and the Indians rebel, and the Indians say, we don't want you around here anymore. Get out of here. And the English say, well, we are hurting our feelings, and besides, we're better than you. And then they have some more conflict, and then the English say, oh, you're right, and we, we don't, can't afford our empire anymore. Goodbye. <laughs> 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 and so, uh, maybe that's why English always play uh, villains. 
uh, English actors always play villains because we've got that leftover feeling about. No, you, you, you know what it is, and I never realized this because because over here we think English sounds cool and all this sort of stuff. And I've had like a half a dozen people in a half a dozen different countries on many continents say to me that you know, as a foreigner, American accents, you guys, you all sound like movie stars to us. <laughs> and hey. and. And a British Travel accent part. to us, a British accent reminds us of imperialism and colonialism. Yeah. And we don't like that. Hmm. And, and so it just never occurred to me until this woman in, in Rome one night said this to me that, you know, you sound like a movie star. Like, <laughs> no, I don't, you know, but, but, but that's what they think because that's what they're fed on. That's so great. we're, we're actually, we actually have the cool that's, voices, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, that propaganda machine is working in our favor. <laughs> yep. Or in your guys' favor, maybe. Mm-hmm. Although the, all the television shows sound like, uh, uh, all the science fiction television shows sound like Canadian. Um, <laughs> television. Well, they're all shot in Vancouver. I but, know. Uh, they sound, uh, like, uh, how do we end up being a ghetto just for science fiction? I don't think they shoot anything other than science fiction up here. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But, you, you know, I just did a book buy a Canadian author a mystery novel for, for uh, Iambic and I had to make this decision of whether or not to say a boot oh, <laughs> every time <laughs> I got to it and I decided not to do it good uh, yeah because it's not I mean more of a I think of that as more of a, an eastern Canadian centric kind of thing and I think if you're in anyway. if you're in Newfoundland you might go out in a boot right right <laughs> But you're exactly. probably out in a boat <laughs> in the water <laughs> fishing because you're in Newfoundland. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, you know, what I finally decided was, you know, when I have somebody from Bastin, I don't really try and, you know, do that. I mean, I can remember being a kid one time and talking to a guy in a bar and he was telling me about a, a shock that he got, you know, in Boston. And he was, I thought he was talking about the the fish that eats you like jaws and he was talking about sticking <laughs> his finger in a socket and getting an electrical shock <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Australian. yeah well it's all laziness i mean all all of the the uh accents are basically lazy ways of speaking mm, interesting they, they devolve and so you can follow them through in fact this particular guy in this book yeah, and only because I narrate a bunch of books do I listen for this stuff. He he had a neutral accent, and I can't remember which characters he used it for, but it could have been Eastern European, it could have been Spanish, it could have been Italian, it could have been... I mean, uh, he used it for four or five different people. And, and it's just this generic, sort of not American accent. And, and I wish I had that, because it, it works great. Hmm. Um, do you have what? an English accent? Ooh. Not that I'm willing to do for you. I, I, <laughs> okay. I've I've done I, I've done English accents, but you'll notice there's not much. You know, I'd love to do PG Woodhouse, but I I can't do Bertie and Jeeves with this voice. It's just it just. It, Hello, Bertie. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but I I just you know, I, and I'm okay with Russian. Like there's there's certain accents that can be defined as you do these five things go change all of the u's to oo go change all of the and then you just read it phonetically and it comes out russian okay but if there's something where i have to think about it like cockney for me is actually 
I mean, I can drop my H's and stuff and say, you know, <laughs> what's all this then? You know, and all that sort of stuff. But, um, it's, it's, oh, that's, that's actually a secret language. The Cockneys used it, used those terms to confuse the cops so that they didn't know what they were doing. Um, and so if you listen to a real Cockney and especially like a drunken Cockney, cause that's where you pick up accents. The best places <laughs> is when you can get that guy drunk because you'll hear him overdo the slurs and you'll know where to slur at that point. If you're trying to pick up an accent and it's actually a secret language. And so <laughs> I, I just I, I try to avoid them if possible. I Jesse, you sent me something once from what's his name, Corey uh, Doctor. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was a thing he did for NPR, and mm-hmm. it said, "Here, listen to these two audio book slices." And and he did one where the guy was you know chewing the scenery and lighting fire to the drapes and doing all these funny voices and stuff, and sounded like Jerry Lewis. Mm-hmm. And then he did one that was just some more like the way I try to approach it, which is I don't Straight really reading. do silly. Yeah, I don't do silly voices. I mean, I don't you know even if it's a silly character, I don't really do them as a doofus. You know, I don't I don't do the which way did I go kind of voice. <laughs> you know, and so um, and from that thing that you sent me, I was just like, okay, that was where I made the decision. I'm not going to do stupid voices, and so I just all do it. You know, I change the the way I think about the character and the way the emphasis is put on the words, but I don't actually make up accents and stuff like that for them. Mm. Um, and I think that that helps and hurts me. It keeps me from getting, you know, I've, uh, I've probably, um, auditioned for over 10 science fiction novels that I, I ambic and have been turned down 10 times. Well, oh. hmm. they don't like the first SF. <laughs> I, no, well, they're the way- lost. The way it was explained to me is that, is that, and I don't agree with this, is that you hire Nicholson for your movie, it becomes a Jack Nicholson movie, mm. and that most authors, because I don't have publishers making this decision, I have authors making this decision, and the authors don't see this the same way I do. I'm trying to connect you directly to the story and so the words are a piece of plate glass but the authors themselves see it as a mosaic made up of millions of tiles that they painstakingly pasted together one by one and and so i have essentially a signature voice and if they don't want that signature they want their words to shine through they blow me off Mm. i don't know i don't know if i agree or believe that but that's what it was Put to but me there is a truth of the matter. No, wait a second. Um, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to go back, Tam. Uh, before you, just as soon as you started reading this, you sent me a little Skype message saying, "Why is Joe Haldeman switching back and forth uh, between third Good person, question. first person?" Um, I was thinking about that the whole time after you pointed out. I didn't notice it at first. I just the story's happening, right? And and yet it, it persists all the way through the novel. Uh, have you come up with any theories as to why that might be? Why he did it that way? Okay. Did you ever hear of uh, Yes Minister? Yeah, yes yeah, Prime that, yeah, sure. That show. Mm-hmm. One reviewer in Goodreads related to that, like there's parts where it seems like the editor is filling in uh, blank parts of the narrative, and there's other parts where the person is talking first person, and he thought it was something like that. 
Okay, so the yeah the on that show, yes, minister, there was the uh, deputy minister who is a, a, a government official, um, social uh, a social servant. Yes. What's it called? Civil servant. Civil servant. Civil servant. Uh, he can't be fired, and he just waits for the minister to screw up, and he'll get a new minister. Right. So he knows everything. The minister knows nothing. And so in that case, he talks sort of in third person a little bit, I guess, and then the. The first person minister sort of tells, uh, uh, sorry, the, the minister talks more first person in the sense that he, he, um, he doesn't know what's going on, so he has to ask a lot of questions. Is why are we doing it that way? And and he says, well, minister, the reason we do this is, right, uh, a wonderful show, wonderful, wonderful show. And I guess I, I want to watch cartoons, and then, <laughs> that, you know, adults want to watch Yes, Minister, and I'm like, no, this show is terrible. I want to watch cartoons. <laughs> now I'm like, this show is awesome. But, uh, well, that, that makes a little bit of sense, I guess. But, whoa. I was going to say, he did it in The Long Habit of Living as well. How old am I? Okay. I haven't read that one. I mean, either. I noticed he went back and forth myself, and I thought it was when he wanted me to be empathetic. Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, it's. I mean, the third person allows you to dump a lot more information, which I guess exactly. is helpful. Um, and the first person makes it... Uh, I mean, I love first person stories. They're, they're generally short. They're generally got a lot of punch to them. Uh, novels and, and first person... Anything tends to have a lot of punch to them, but uh, it's also a limited point of view. I, I was thinking it had something to do with the plot. Um, the main character is uh, you know, he's uh, a person by himself, and then later on, everybody's collectivized, right? So they're all jacked in together. He is doing this, and he, he felt that, and they knew this, right? And so it... it I, I had this theory that... Yeah, go for it. I had this theory that the Jack was actually doing the talking, like the Jack was monitoring him, or like a mm-hmm. government bug was monitoring him, and they would have revealed that at the end of the book, mm-hmm. who the uh, person was, but that never happened. Hmm. I don't know. That, that might have been a better story. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that. I don't, yeah. I don't think it pans out in the story. It, it, right. It's not to be revealed. That's my theory. Yeah, it, it's something to go with. Scott, any ideas? You know, I he uh, texted me that too, and I I listened for it, but I no, I really didn't come up with a any real reason for it. Um, in fact, I didn't even notice the the difference. <laughs> You know, so I'm I'm not really sure. I didn't I didn't pay close enough attention. I don't think to to try to pick that out. But I, I did notice it after only after Tam pointed it out to me, and I didn't see a real reason. Let me ask you this: What do you guys remember? Uh, what tense is the Forever War in? Not the first. Uh, that's a good question. I would have said first majority? person. Majority. Yeah. Uh, if- if we're going by raw volume, I would say third person. You think it's third person? I, I remember it being first person. Maybe it the starts out first person, but... Uh-huh. Uh, so maybe he's doing the switching all the way through as well? Well, think about it. Whenever we're not with Julian, it's got to be third person. But aren't we and, always with him? Oh, no, not Julian. No, I'm talking no. the first book. First book. The Forever War. 
Forever War. Okay. Not the okay. Forever yeah. War. Well, oh, or Forever People. Correct. I'm saying Forever War, I think it's first person, isn't it? Isn't it all first person? That's what I remember. Yeah, it but, seems to be like it, we, we he goes away, his girlfriend's gone forever, and then he sees her again, and he's, he's overjoyed. Right. right. We don't see it from a third-person point of view that would know what's going on. We see everything. It, it, I think that's another reason why it reminds us of uh, Starship Troopers. That's all first person. And mm-hmm. so uh, if this is a series, right, then it could go first person, second per, uh, first, person, <laughs> first person and third person, and then last one could be just third person. Right, Maybe. right. Could be. <laughs> Probably not. Probably it was just some, you know, writing, writing decision. He, he's got I'm a lot sure. of stuff to dump, and he can't do it in first person. I'll bet somebody has used that as the hook already. We just haven't found it. Probably, yeah. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.